Welcome to Energy Matters to You, August 16th, 2017th edition. The Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. The Energy Matters to You podcast seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. Today's podcast is brought to you with support from Pro Insulation. Pro Insulation offers a variety of solutions for every application. Contractors, home remodelers, and homeowners can find the best insulation to suit their specific needs. Pro Insulation services are based on current building trends and science, along with the most advanced insulation products available for use today. We're your hosts. My name is Leo Ryan. I'm here with my co-host, Ron Galuli. Ron, how you doing? Good morning, Leo. I'm doing well. And how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Have you been on, on the surfboard this summer? Well, actually, I should be on it today. There's a tropical storm right off the coast, and I've been getting texts from Block Island, and uh, my favorite spot, Jerry's Point, is uh, going off, and there's no one out there, and I'm not there. So but, you'll be, you'll uh, be, we'll be there Friday. Well, yeah. I, I, we're bringing on a guest, Richard Costello, who's got uh, some some interesting perspective on surfing. And when, when we join him later, I'll make sure that he shares that with us. Hey, Ron, before we dive into to our guest, what I want to do is have you talk a little bit about where the program administrators are relative to their incentive goals. I know you've been tracking that. Do you have any comment about the current state of uh, of the of, of their progress towards uh, hitting incentive targets? Yeah, sure. Leo, I uh, scanned the most recent program administrator report for Massachusetts. And the most recent report was the end of Q1 for 2017. And it appears they're tracking right on target to hit their savings goals for that three-year plan, which ends at the end of 2018. Some of the scuttlebutt that I do hear is that uh, one of the PAs mentioned that their sales pipeline was dropping off. So that may impact 2018. And also there's a big concern about the maturity of the LED lighting market and what's becoming rapidly becoming the baseline. And a lot of those products are expected to drop off uh, what may be able to be incentivized over the coming years. So that's a big concern and how to make up for that loss of LED lighting if that does happen. Okay, so that's clearly areas that our our guest and uh, and and those listeners of the Energy Matters to You podcast should be paying attention to because it, it significantly impacts their businesses. Absolutely. So today we have with us uh, Richard Costello, uh, who's the president of the Acela Energy Group, and uh, Rich has been around the energy space for a long time. We're not going to give any specific dates, but. His history includes a run with uh, Boston, then Boston Edison, today Eversource, and uh, power supply manager with uh, the MBTA. So he's been in big, big institutional clients. He he knows the the utility side of the house, but has spent most of his his career uh, kind of in the in the private sector, pr- providing all kinds of support in the energy trade. Rich, uh, good to have you on the line. Well, thanks, glad to be here, and thank thank you, Leo and Ron, for having me. I mentioned that little teaser that, uh, you know, Ron does an awful lot of surfing. That's a real passion of his. And I understand that uh, one of the professional outlets for you is, is training. And that uh, brings you to kind of a, a nice part of the world to do that training. Yes, yes. I've been fortunate enough to do a, a lot of energy efficiency and energy procurement training out in California, uh, where my son happens to also live. 
and spend a lot of time in, in Surf City um, watching him surf, but I, I don't do any surfing at all. I, I have the fun part of watching. I also <laughs> have um, taught a lot and own a company out in Hawaii that does energy efficiency measures. So I've been to the, the uh, fantastic surfing places in Hawaii, again, just as more of a, uh, a uh, watcher than uh, actually participating in it. I don't know if anyone want to actually see me on a surfboard. But, uh, <laughs> it's a potentially uh, ugly sight. Well, I think there's a business <laughs> opportunity that Ron Galuli could come out and, and help you, and maybe he could get on those waves. I think that would be fantastic, Ron. What do you think? I'll carry your suitcases, yes. <laughs> so, Rich, I, your your experience spans a, a real broad uh, part of the marketplace and, uh, and, 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 and different specialties. But what we want to talk about today really is important in the supermarket industry. Now, supermarkets use an awful lot of energy. Um, look at some statistics about the average size supermarket, 50,000 square feet or so, spends over $200,000 in, in energy costs. So, and this breaks down to about $4 a square foot. So highly energy intensive uh, as an industry. Do you, you want to flesh that out for us? How important are supermarkets in terms of energy consumption and, uh, and how uh, necessary is it for them to look at their energy profile? Sure. But the interesting thing about supermarkets and the food service industry in general is if you look at all the studies done by the Department of Energy and and other groups around the United States. The the statistic you brought up is very uh, important, the usage per square foot or the, the energy utilization rate. And that being so high amongst most of the industries out there, with the exception of maybe data centers. And so with that in mind, the most opportunity lies when someone uses the most energy in a diverse area of both lighting and refrigeration and mechanical. So it's a it's a good opportunity. They do consume a lot of energy per square foot. So as far as being able to come up with energy efficiency measures and target them, that's an important thing for both the customers, vendors, and the utilities to look at. Also, the um, interesting fact is that in a lot of places, the energy bill somewhat equals the profit they get out of a store. And that can be, you know, an estimate roughly, but uh, an organization that understands that, understands that doing energy efficiency um, will go right to the bottom line. And oftentimes, we'll have an investment in turnover rate of return far greater than building new supermarkets. So being able to cost-effectively help them out and, you know, reduce their energy costs and allow them to, you know, sell their product in certain parts of the country for less, it all comes into uh, to a to a good thing economically and also uh, helps also in climate change. So reducing the amount of refrigeration needed, try to reduce the leaks, things like that. So not only is it economics that we're trying to do and have people meet their goals, but also reduce the con contribution to uh, climate change. Okay. All right. Good. Good, good background there. So, you know, focusing on the, the economic benefits of uh, focusing on efficiency and the, obviously a, a larger so social benefit in terms of climate change. Now, energy efficiency is not new to this marketplace. Give us kind of an update of your sense of what's been done, um, what, what can be done, where are the opportunities specifically, current, current state of the market impacting uh, supermarkets? Sure. Well, one of the companies that I, that I own is called Retrocool Energy. And Retrocool Energy um, basically helps supermarkets and hotels and other types of facilities save on energy, primarily on mechanical HVAC and refrigeration. A lot of places we go to have already had the lights done. So we concentrate on, on pretty much the non-lighting possible measures. 
the current market out there, you know, folks are, like we mentioned earlier, want to reduce their KW for climate reasons, KWHs. Also, electric utilities becoming, and this is an important note for everyone, the actual cost from your electric company is becoming more fixed fee in some instances, as well as a lot more KW demand related in the pie chart of costs. So reducing both kilowatt hours in KW is, is important, KWH. Also, some of the utilities in the Northeast still have robust kilowatt hour and KW programs. And an important measure also for people who want to continue to reduce their use, as Ron mentioned a little bit earlier, the sunset of LEDs being a, a new measure and being assumed to be uh, coded measures going into the future. So that's the current state of the, of the, of the, of the market. What we do in our defining, I guess, the, the, the problem uh, is, is going to be more air conditioning and refrigeration um, taxing the grid. And that's something that has always been around, but it's getting worse and worse, especially in the Northeast, where the summer peaking is happening during the warmest hours of the year. Now, um, one of the products that we sell the most of, to be honest with you, and frankly, is, is a retromist product, which allows us to basically fool the vapor compression cycle and save energy and also increase capacity. Those are two important things that we're able to do, Leo, and uh, go in a little detail if you'd like about it. Hey, do, do me a favor. So, uh, fool the compressor uh, cycle. You, you, you called out two key benefits there. I, I just wanted you to take a moment there to, to highlight those so we understand what it is RetroCool is doing. Sure, sure. And any vapor compression system, which is like your refrigerator in your home or your chiller at work or your, or your data center cooling system, there's a refrigerant inside, and the refrigerant changes between gas and a liquid, and that allows transfer properly to remove heat from the building. Um, when you do that, the heat has to be obviously taken into the environment. So the warmer the environment is, the hotter the refrigerant has to be, and that means more kilowatt hours consumed by your compressor, your electric compressor. So your compressor uses twice as much energy when it's 100 degrees out than when it's 70 degrees out. So it's not, it's not more a log, logometric type usage of energy when it gets hot outside. Okay. So if it's outside, our equipment uses a lot less energy. And this is just because of the ideal gas law and how the system works. If we can fool outside the condenser outside, think that it's 70 degrees out instead of 100 degrees in the roof, then it's going to consume a lot less energy. We do that by misting water into the air. And this water is so small and so um, atomized, about three to five microns in diameter, that it has the same surface area. One gallon of water has the same surface area as a, as a soccer field. So it immediately evaporates and it brings the temperature down 20 to 30 degrees Fahrenheit. So what we're doing is instead of warm air going over the condenser, cool air is going over it. So it thinks it's 70 degrees outside, hence the compressors don't have to work anywhere near as hard. Right. Now, so let me ask an obvious question about that. What are the, you know, the, the geographic bounds of this kind of technology? Where does it work best and deliver the, the highest value? Highest value would be on hot days when it's dry outside. That would be the highest value. The lowest value would be if it's um, a cool day and, and moist outside. The more moist it is outside, a little bit less effective the system is. But most of the time during the high peak days and areas of the country, it's going to be uh, very effective. Okay. You know, look at the run hours is another question. Great question, Leo, you bring in there. There's a lot more run hours down the southern part of the United States. So the greater the, 
the kilowatt hour savings. Uh, up in the Northeast, that's going to be the greater the KW because it's less run hours, but greater KW drop, which, which goes to the fact that many people do this to reduce their KW from their bills. And also they do it to increase the capacity. Oftentimes you'll see sprinkler hoses on roofs and you wonder why they're there. Well, they're sprinkling water on these condensers so they can be cooler in their facilities or so their ice cream won't melt. Got it. Hey, Rich, let me let me bring uh, Ron in right now. Ron, you've spent a lot of time in discussion around you know, measurement and verification of the impact of energy efficiency measures. As you hear Rich talk about, you know, controlling run hours and, and, and dropping KW, what's your impression about um, how the utility incentive programs have traditionally reacted uh, to the um, the retro cool technology uh, and, and compressor optimization in general? Sure. I, Leo, uh, actually, Rich, it was probably about half a dozen years ago um, when you approached us when I was at National Grid with the technology and we had an independent engineering firm take a look at the technology and run the analysis. Um, and it, it actually showed, um, you know, the, the projected savings was right on target. You know, it, essentially, Rich, you're turning that air cooled condenser into an evaporatively cool condenser on those hot days. And so the calculation is pretty straightforward based on the ambient temperatures. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, and Rich, let me let me just pose the same question to you. Obviously, you you know you've been uh, promoting retro cool in, in different environments. Um, how, how has the reception been? Let's start initially from the utility incentive perspective. What kind of feedback are you getting from them about the about the technology and its impact? Sure, the uh, the technology is, is is well accepted by the utilities around the country, and obviously in the Northeast, a lot of them have dealt with. Um, the the system reduces the KW during the peak periods of time, as well as it does save kilowatt hours based on obviously the run hours of the systems. So the supermarket industry, since their condensers are running pretty much all the time or in, in the on position, it gets more run hours, saves more kilowatt hours. Um, so each time we go to a utility to get the rebates, it's always custom measures. So we have to go through that process, which is a collaborative process, pulling back and forth and meeting it at, at, at the agreed upon kilowatt hours and KW settings. I will say one thing of interest. Um, some states have energy efficiency programs that only reward kilowatt hour savings, and they don't uh, award KW savings. Some utilities do, like Con Ed and Connecticut, and other utilities don't. Those are just do kilowatt hours in the Northeast. It's sometimes difficult in our systems when applied to rooftop units because even though we say valuable kilowatt hours during the peak time, one of the most costly uh, utility programs don't recognize that. They just view all kilowatt hours at the same. So that's something I think will probably change as we move into the future. However, the application um, is done on not only supermarket condensers, but at, on data centers, on rooftop units, and air cool chillers all around the United States and, and heavily rebated down south, obviously, because of long run hours and kilowatt hours that consume of that. Up here in the northeast, you have less run hours that make it a little bit more um, uh, difficult to get what we think is the appropriate incentive. However, most of the utilities in the northeast have been great in helping us determine an incentive, and most of the customers are doing it not only to save energy, but also increase 
at the passive. Yeah. So many electrical devices have been put inside buildings, and they do not upgrade the HVAC system. So this is a, a way to uh, increase the capacity to help them in that process. Well, I'm glad you started that transition because I do want to take the conversation from, you know, the core technology. What does it do physically? Physically, and then we talked a bit about the utilities, how they currently interact with uh, with retrocool and the technology. But what I'd love you to share with us right now is some some real stories. Give it, give us an example of, you know, a, a prospect that you went to or someone who came to you and they had this problem, introduced the technology. Talk, walk us through the, you know, what benefits they saw, what what um, what challenges you might have had in, in terms of implementation, and then ultimately what the client realized as a result of installing Metrocool. Sure. Well, most of our systems have been put out at supermarkets and, and, and several on, on uh, as I mentioned earlier, on data centers and, and, and regular office buildings and stuff. I'll give you an example. There was a, uh, a supermarket chain in Massachusetts, about 60 supermarkets, and we put the uh, RetroMist system on about 30 of their supermarkets, kind of to help them because these supermarkets were spraying the roofs with hoses. We find that a lot, and those hoses don't do a good job, plus they deteriorate the condenser coils and stuff like that. We came in with a measure that was thermostatically turned on and off, but more importantly, we filtered the water and everything before they were throwing water on these coils and stuff. So we saved them a tremendous amount of water because our system only went on in the criteria of certain time frames, as opposed to actually running a hose for four months in a row, 24 hours a day. So they were surprised at not only the energy savings, but they were happily surprised with the, the dramatic reduction in, in water that they were being used uh, at the water and sewer charges they had for that. So they were very happy. And, and once the actual um, success story went around the company, uh, the facilities manager of the warehouse that supplied all the food and everything to the supermarket chain had a whole bunch of freezer condensers on top, and they were all spraying with hoses, and they were leaking the roof and causing a headache. He saw this, and then he took that opportunity to put it on their warehouse, and he was very delighted in seeing that uh, not only did this measure save energy, increase capacity, and reduce water and energy costs at the supermarkets, also at the headquarters, it did the same thing. So that was kind of a nice story to see where it went in one side of the company and uh, other people gravitated to it. That's great. It's funny the the unintended consequences or benefits, right? So the so they prolong the the life of the roof. They minimize the water damage inside the facility. And all I can imagine is that you know for four months of the year they've got a certain amount of their workforce is up on the roof, essentially with an idle activity, just spraying water to chill equipment down. It's not the ideal way to use qu- equipment or personnel. Yeah, they they put a lot a bunch of lawn sprinklers and leave them on for six months. Well, those things consume a lot of water, and people would go on the roof of this like a supermarket, set it, and forget it. Yeah. Well, right. when you get a seventeen thousand dollar water bill, then you all of a sudden remember it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, Rich, give us an idea of what's the expected savings. I mean, we've started with a, a profile of a fifty thousand square foot supermarket spending two hundred thousand dollars on electrical costs, and that costs are split between. You know, cooling and lighting. What 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 can folks expect from from Metro Cool? Well, actually, if you look at the kilowatt hour savings by by themselves, you might get anywhere between fifteen to twenty five thousand dollar reduction in your in your electric bill at a at a at a normal size supermarket in the Northeast. 
Uh, remember, we have high costs in the Northeast. However, when you do this down south, you have lower costs but longer run hours. So it kind of equates to the same um, rough, rough number of savings. And again, that depends upon some of your superstores have two refrigeration rooms. Most supermarkets have one. So anywhere between that would be a, would be a, a typical savings. Now, in some areas of the country where your electric bills now are based on not only uh, how much you use, but a lot of it's capacity related, you know, the, the worst day of the year, worst hour of the year. When these systems are on, all of a sudden they can be saving not the 15, 20,000, but upwards of 30,000, $35,000 because um, the systems are reducing KW during the peak days of the ISOs, the peak day of the month for your regular LDC bill. So they actually save a lot more because of when they actually are operating. And that's something we show customers on their bills. We show them KW reduction at certain times and it benefits them greatly. So the more KW related you bill, the better for energy savings. Hey, Ron, let me pull you in on this one because I know this is an area of specialization for you as this, uh, you know, capacity charges. Uh, what I'd love you to comment on is twofold. One is the level of knowledge among the commercial buyers about the impact of capacity related charges and the kinds of things they think they can do to to lower their their capacity charges. Yeah, actually Rich and I had a discussion I think last week or a couple of weeks ago that there's very few customers actually dialed into how their demand charges during the summer will will impact their bills. So, you know, with the supermarkets Typically, they have a fairly sophisticated energy manager. I would think they're dialed in. But in general, I would say my guess is 85% of the, you know, larger commercial customers aren't really that sure or very well educated on, on the capacity charges and how it impacts their bill, which it really is amazing because it has a huge impact. And, you know, that one day, that one hour, and if they're not managing that, it can affect their whole year worth of billing. Yeah, good. And Rich, anything you want to add to, to uh, Ron's comment? Yeah, I mean, two things. Number one, it, it, I agree. It's, it's amazing how many people you can tell them this and they agree with you, and they, but they don't do anything. There's no action being taken. And it can be in some cases uh, what you do during that hour in some parts of New England can equal 40% of your, your, your generation and transmission costs. So it's anything you'd be doing during that period of time is important. Also reducing your peak in addition to that yearly one worst hour. Also your monthly peaks for your regular electric bill. And as we move into the future with all this um, Internet of Things and, and the way the world moving in the electric world, um, a lot of stuff's going to be based on time. And um, obviously, everything's going to cost more when it's extremely hot outside due to that vapor compression system rule that I, I mentioned. So anything that can reduce energy during that period of time is good. And something should also be noted that when we go and we put the retro mist on an air-cooled condenser, nobody suffers inside the building. They can keep the same set points. Everybody's fine inside. And it just does its system by evaporating water. Same way we evaporate water as humans to keep cool. We evaporate water called sweat. We evaporate water and cool the air. So doing something when it's needed the most, and some folks will say, well, aren't you wasting water? Well, for every gallon we use of water to reduce 
kWh, the utility would have used three gallons to make the electricity. Yeah. So we're actually saving water from that point of view. And we're actually just doing something very simple, applied in a strategic manner to allow us to reduce the consumption of kilowatt hours in carbon during those warm hours. And, you know, I keep on referring to the Northeast, but you get down south, to, we're looking at a bunch of stores in Arizona right now. We're obviously different climate, but, you know, with their demand charges and, and stuff like that, by evaporating water there, we can uh, reduce a fantastic amount of kilowatt hours and also save people water for those people that are, like I mentioned before, sprinkling. Yeah, good. Now, Richard, you threw out a number of uh, you know fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollar kind of savings in a in a grocery store, and grocery stores have notoriously thin margins. You know, sometimes they estimate it to being one percent. So, you know, if if a store saves twenty thousand dollars in savings, what what is that in top line revenue they have to generate to to make up that kind of savings? If it's probably you know anywhere between. Uh... Fifty to seventy-five dollars they have to sell to to actually get a dollar. So every kilowatt hour, every dollar we save stops them from having to to sell seventy-five dollars. Wow. But we that's a great analogy. We tend to look at it more on the you know if we save twenty thousand dollars a year, that's twenty-five thousand dollars you know to pay on electricity. Since their electricity our energy costs are almost equal to the profits, we increase the profits by twenty thousand. Nice. We generally, the company, it's interesting, great question, by the way, Leo. We generally go in and do, we have a list of 27 measures that we look at. So we're a very comprehensive company. So in addition to the retro mess, we will go and do a host of, of other things like variable speed drives on all the supply fans, uh, condenser control fans, um, you know, lowering their actual head pressures of their system, which also helps save them energy, putting doors on things, film on doors, controls, a lot of controlled energy-related things that are all mechanical refrigeration. So oftentimes, we'll come out of a store, and it may cost $300,000 to do what we do, but with a utility rebate thrown in there, the whole cost may be a year payback. So we look at different parts of the country with different technologies to put it together, optimize it, go get the custom rebates for those systems, because a lot of things we do are new, and they have to be tested and sometimes measured, calculated, all these things, and put for the bucket. So when we go into a supermarket, it's uh, I know we've concentrated on the retro mist in this discussion, but we look at all things that actually consume electricity and natural gas, and we pretty much have measures that we look at for every single one of those energy-consuming devices. Some make sense, some don't make sense based on rates, structures, incentives, and energy costs. But we want to make sure that at the end of the day, a lot of cases, we can reduce the energy usage in a supermarket by 20 to 25%, which is with a year payback with incentives, which is a fantastic uh, opportunity for supermarkets to take advantage of. That's great. Hey, Ron, before I give um, Rich the, the last word here as we try to bring this to a close here, in your experience, what has been some of the, the, the big successes in supermarket optimization? Talk about successes. And the other thing is, what, Ron, what kind of uh, objections do, do you hear from that marketplace that slow people down from, from taking advantage of some of the opportunities that Rich has been discussing here? One, one thing that I've noticed um, is that we've seen a couple local utilities here have uh, utility 
uh, or supermarket specific programs where they'll actually go in and do an audit and they'll have specific measures for those supermarkets. So I, I don't know, Rich, how, how have you integrated with those programs and been a contractor for those programs? Yes, we integrate. Some of the utilities do hire uh, third-party consulting firms to help target supermarket industry, and they help us out a lot, actually. They uh, assist us in expediting uh, all our applications and all the stuff. So that's, that's worked out very well. Some of these companies have offices all around the United States. Um, and there's a couple of different consulting companies that assist utilities out there. And uh, we'll work very well with all of them because they have goals to meet and they have specific, uh, pretty good engineers that they concentrate in, in the supermarket industry or the data center industry or the hotel industry. So they know exactly what we're talking about in the, uh, Collaborative draft that is, is a great result for us, the customer, and also the utilities, um, you know, helping to meet their goals. I will add one, Leo, that the, the, the one, the biggest objection you get on doing energy efficiency, I guess, and I, I don't just stop it at what we do, but others is, is people don't have any money. They, they, they say they don't have any money. But I, I always look at it this way. If I walk into a location, the lights are on and they tell me they don't have any money. I said, but if you have no money, how do you pay your electric bill? And they always say, oh, we pay our electric bill. So I say to them, all we're trying to do is instead of paying all this money to your electric utility, why don't you pay some of it to yourself? Why don't you just take some of your operating costs, give it to us to pay for the project over time, be net positive cash flow very quickly. And then 25% of that check you used to write out to the utility, you write out to your own bottom line or to your own pocket. You know, a lot of people still go in the world, world of budgeting, they have to budget stuff and find the money somewhere. Well, every day you don't do energy efficiency, you're just paying the utility. And the utility, by the way, they never had to go in and fight. They never had to go in and sell themselves. You automatically pay them. So just remember, all this money that you've contributed to the energy efficiency funds, if you don't use them, your competitors are. And it's great, great for the environment, great for your bottom line, and just hope that people would realize that, uh, you know, reducing your energy costs, um, your, your operating budget is, is something that a lot of people are doing now and should do now. That's great. That's great. And part of the mission of Energy Matters to you is to have our our, our listeners, those who benefit from the technologies, continue to pay more to themselves as opposed to expending more to the utilities. So thank you for calling that out and encouraging folks to uh, to, to take that step and not use the lack of funds as an inhibitor to find out and, uh, and, and how to implement um, energy efficiency technologies. Hey, Rich, you've got your, your hand in an awful lot of stuff here, the energy conservation training and auditing. Um, if um, who's a good candidate to uh, to work with you? Well, who are the kinds of people that you want to hear from that you think you can have the most uh, benefit to? Sure, uh, uh, Retro Cool again does help helps any 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 type of commercial industrial customer, as well as uh, some small customers. We obviously supermarkets and groceries. We do a lot of work in data centers. Would would be would be a great candidate to talk to us. Also, uh, lighting company lighting expos more comprehensive. As we spoke about earlier, the less lighting available, there's other things available. And these lighting escos don't have to be uh, proficient in this stuff. They just have to know to give us a holler so we can help their, them be more comprehensive. We work with them. Also, folks that might need additional cooling capacity due to problems. We A lot of times we get called in not for, not for um, 
uh, energy savings, but more for capacity problems or, or so they're overheating or something like that. Also, any utilities out there that may be listening, they want some demand reduction measures, uh, reducing demand during the most important part of their peak part of the of the season. Uh, a lot of utilities, uh, we were hired by one utility also to, to go after small CNI because of the, the high cost of uh, kilowatt hours they pay. So uh, any utilities looking for a non-lighting type growth and opportunity to help them pinpoint in some uh, non-lighting measures. So that's kind of the group that we're looking for. That's a, that's a wide swath. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for delivering all that to the marketplace. It's important work, and uh, uh, we're glad to have you as part of the Energy Matters to your community. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Ron. Yeah. So an uh, easy way to, to reach Rich Costello, president of Acela Energy Group, is at uh, his, uh, his main website, which is www.retrocoolenergy.com. It's all one word retrocoolenergy.com. Uh, Rich, thanks again for, for, for being part of Energy Matters 2. We'll be watching your progress. All right. Well, thank you very much. Ron, we've taken a little time off from putting together the podcast, and we've got uh, a few improvements. Is that true? That is, that is correct. Um, we expect at least one per month. Uh, we have a new platform um, on Podbean that we'll be promoting very soon. Excellent. Well, good. So once again, we'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Pro Insulation. Uh, rely on the pros at Pro Insulation to provide the accurate information relative relevant to your project. When you're ready to add insulation to your home or business to reduce energy costs and increase comfort, call Pro Insulation at 860-356-5046 for your free consultation. This has been Leo Ryan and Ron Galuli on behalf of Energy Matters to You. That's all for now. Go make a difference. Thanks. <laughs>